Sebastian Vettel is champion for the fourth straight year. We speak to him and the man who designed his car, as well as two former greats looking to get back on terms. The James Allen on F1 podcast, brought to you by UBS. Hello, welcome to the November edition of the JA on F1 podcast with UBS. This month, we'll be speaking to the reigning champions, as well as a former world champion and his team boss, under pressure to rediscover the winning formula. Sebastian Vettel looks back on the season and pays an unlikely tribute to his teammate. It has always been uh, very, very close, maybe closer than uh, what people remember. I have uh, enormous respect. Red Bull design ace Adrian Newey explains how his group made the car unbeatable in the second half of the season. We'll hear from Jensen Button on how McLaren can be better competitors next season with the massive rule changes coming in. We understand where to not go with the aerodynamics, but also mechanically. And Jensen's team boss, Martin Whitmarsh, reflects on McLaren's most disappointing season since 1980. Plain and simply, the car's not been quick enough. You know, we're a second behind where we should be. If we were a second further forward, then we'd have a very competitive car. And JRNF1 technical advisor Mark Gillen is on hand to give us his insights into Vettel's success and whether there is such a thing as a perfect lap. James Allen on F1. Four times a world champion at the age of 26, Sebastian Vettel is tearing up the record books and his unbeaten run since the summer break has highlighted not only his improvement as a driver, but also Red Bull's perfection of the current car design. At the Red Bull factory in Milton Keynes, Vettel spoke about his season and went into some detail on his relationship with his teammate, on techniques for getting the most from the 2013 cars and tyres, and on how he manages to stay sharp in a season which drags on for nine months. He began by paying tribute to his teammate Mark Webber. Despite a poor personal relationship, they were successful together. To be honest with you, I think we always shared respect, uh, especially on the, on the track. Obviously, um, you know, when we've been fighting each other, etc., I don't think it was uh, a lacking, lacking respect. Um, I think... Uh, each one of us respected the other guy inside the car and uh, his abilities. Obviously, as teammates for the last uh, five years, I think um, we've got to know each other very, very well, uh, meaning that uh, I know his strengths and I know his, not weaknesses, but maybe the corners where I have a little bit of an advantage and, uh, and vice versa. So um, it has always been uh, very, very close, maybe closer than uh, what people remember so um, I appreciated that and therefore I have uh, enormous respect Um, surely you know uh, you have to be honest as well we didn't have the best relationship probably on a personal level if you look back but um, yeah in the end of the day I think we were very very successful uh, for the team as well uh, winning four constructors uh, in a row Um, so you know made sure that together we scored enough points for the team. Vettel also spoke about the possibility of racing with another champion alongside him, as Ayrton Senna did when he took on Alain Prost at McLaren in 1988. Did he see himself ever wanting to match himself up like that within the same team? I mean, maybe I don't. Maybe I haven't done enough research, or I'm not aware of how things were in the past exactly. But I think ultimately he wanted to go to McLaren to to be in the best car at the time. So. Um, I think generally, as you know, uh, a driver, you always uh, target to be with the best team. Um, and I think if you look back, uh, you know, look back to Formula One history, there has always been uh, the best drivers winning races and championships with the best teams. So, uh, 
um, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I'm very happy where I am. I think I'm uh, with one of the best teams. And as I said, I said before, um, in the end, I think uh, it's, it's, about, uh, it's about you and whether you're happy with, uh, with who you are. Um, if you look at yourself in the mirror, and uh, currently I am racing for Infinity Red Bull Racing, and uh, I'm not, yeah, not thinking about going anywhere else. I mean, racing with, with anyone else is not my job to sign up certain people. I'm happy to stay here, as I expressed. Um, yeah, for sure, next year, Daniel is coming in, which uh, I think is difficult to judge right now, but I'm sure he will do a, a good job, and uh, he will try very, very hard to, um, yeah, to, to give me a hard time. Equally, you could look back and say, you know, um, obviously, if you look for a, str a strong driver's li uh, lineup uh, in 2009, Mark was part of the team and a strong element uh, of the team. And why would you sign up, you know, if you want to, to, to have a, a successful future? Why would you sign up a young driver, sign up somebody else, uh, spend some, you know, more money? And uh, maybe you have success guaranteed. But uh, I think this hasn't been the approach back then, fortunately. That's why I'm still sitting here. And uh, it's good to see also that the approach hasn't changed to make use of the drivers we have within or Red Bull has within its uh, driver program. He also went into some detail about the technique for driving with these latest generation Pirelli tyres. Difficult to describe the technique. Obviously, you try to learn something every, every single lap. Um, tyres are changing in particular, um, and it's difficult to filter what the car needs. Um, so, obviously, you know, that's uh, part of our job. We, we get used to that, to, to try and filter and uh, set priorities. But... Um, I think it was important that we understood the car better towards uh, the end of the season, uh, made us definitely more competitive. Um, in terms of tyres, I think, uh, yeah, inside the car you have the uh, ability to, to listen to them, to, to feel what's going on. Um, there's, yeah, certain things that you can do, I think, to, uh, to protect them, but for sure the balance of the car needs to be right as well. So I think it's the old thing, when you feel comfortable inside the car, it gives you room to play. And then, yeah, you can uh, probably make a, make a difference. So the mindset is, uh, is pretty straightforward. Uh, just try to get everything out. And obviously, you have to, to think uh, when you're driving as well. And he highlighted the challenges he's worked through with Adrian Newey and his engineering team to master the fast-evolving technologies. To first, I think, be part of the process and uh, develop a car around a double diffuser that wasn't supposed to be um, developed around it uh, in the first year for the second year to really discover um, the power uh, of putting the exhaust in the right place and make use of that. Then uh, we obviously um, yeah, lost that for 2012 and uh, yeah, came back since then. And for next year, it's a new challenge. So it's always, uh, basically, you can be sure that, is, that we are very, very busy and there's a reason why we have so many people working here and uh, we constantly in the last four years, I think, or five years, run out of uh, parking space because uh, we just keep uh, growing. Vettel also spoke about the relentlessness of Formula One as the calendar grows and drivers have to try and find ways to perform at a high level every time they get in the car and not get either exhausted or distracted. Generally, people tend to underestimate the challenge. If you look at the uh, Formula One season, we start in yeah mid-January, end of January, and uh, we keep going until more or less uh, end of November or Christmas even, so uh, parts of December. Um, so... If you look at other sports, I think they have more of a break. Uh, all we have is a couple of weeks now uh, since they, yeah, kept more, uh, since they uh, put more and more races in the season. 
uh, towards the end and uh, a couple of weeks in winter and a couple of weeks in the in the summer so it's not that much time to actually recover um, it's very difficult to stay on the same level obviously the target is to always perform 100% from race one to uh, the last race um, so it's it's not easy uh, combined with a lot of traveling since there's more and more overseas races uh, all that you know to to pilot in and uh, factor it in your in your program training program um, you have to, I think in the end of the day, you have to learn to say no uh, because you have to set priorities uh, to what's most important to you. And most important to me is to yeah, make sure that I, um, I'm as close as I can be to deliver 100% when I'm, when I'm in the car. Also on hand was Adrian Newey, who's just clinched his 10th Constructors' Championship, cementing his position as the most successful F1 designer in history. The most remarkable aspect of the 2013 title was the way the team developed the car after the summer break. Newey shed a little light on how the team was able to make such a dramatic step. Various things happened around that mid-season mark. We were developing the car hard, pushing hard, which was not an easy thing to do because, as everybody knows, we've got a very big regulation change for next year. So trying to balance pushing hard for this year with also doing a, the background level of research for next year has, has been a... A lot of work for everybody and everybody here in the factory has been, in the design offices has been really flat out this year for that. Aerodynamically it was, it was a bit of everything, front wing, diffuser, um, the usual, usual culprits, um, trying to get that to, to work well, the mechanical side, the suspension, and then of course the change in back to the 12 tyres which I think probably suited our car more than um, some of our competitors. Are, our strength has tended to be in straight line braking and high speed corners where you've got high load on the tyres and with the 13 tyres being very fragile it was easy to, to damage them in those conditions. Um, the 12 tyres just gave us a bit more scope to, to, make the, to place the best of the car. We managed to keep up a, a good level of progress through the season where it seemed Ferrari tailed off a little bit, perhaps Mercedes didn't quite manage to keep up the level of development that they showed in the mid-season. We kind of managed to keep ramping that up, and as you say, the tars. But how you how you um, allocate percentages, I wouldn't like to say. Still to come, is it possible to do a perfect lap in Formula One, and how does McLaren get back into winning ways? You'll hear the thoughts of Jensen Button and Martin Whitmarsh. The James Allen on F1 podcast, brought to you by UBS. As it stands, with two Grand Prix to go in November, McLaren has yet to score a podium. The last time it went a whole season without a podium finish was 1980. Despite ending 2012 with the fastest car, McLaren chose to go a radical route this year, and it backfired spectacularly. Holly Samos went to visit team boss Martin Whitmarsh at McLaren's Space Age HQ to find out how it all went so badly wrong. Martin began by explaining how McLaren's lack of success this year has made him feel. Formula One is still very much the heartbeat of the company. It's in our DNA. Racing is what we're about and we've, uh, you know, we're here to win. So when you have a season uh, when you haven't done that, then uh, that weighs quite heavy on you. Um, but we've got a, you know, a range of other businesses. So the nice thing, in a strange way, is some of those other businesses uh, which have been successful in their own right, doing quite well, they, they give uh, some upside to a season that's a bit of a, a, a slog when you're not competitive. Where have you fallen short uh, as a team, do you think, this year in the F1 world? 
plain and simply, the car's not been quick enough. And uh, you know, this time last year we had a winning car. We had the most competitive car in Formula One uh, at the end of last season. Uh, so that makes it all the more frustrating within the team and uh, it makes you also more prone to uh, criticism from the outside. Uh, we made some decisions which were bold. Uh, with hindsight, of course, you can look back and wish you hadn't made those decisions, but uh, we put ourselves in a position where uh, the risks, technical risks that were in the project were didn't come off. Um, by the time we started to recover uh, our composure, recover our program, we were probably six months behind uh, where we needed to be. And in Formula One, if you drop the ball for six months, then uh, you're behind, uh, plain and simple. So whilst actually this year's car now and for, has been for some time qu is quicker than last year's car which was the dominant car it's uh, maybe we've moved forward a second but you would expect to move forward by uh, over the course of a year two two and a half seconds mm -hmm. so uh, we're you know we're a second behind where we should be if we were a second f further forward then we'd have a very competitive car will you assess those risks differently because you, one has to take risks to compete with the red bulls well, I think to compete with anyone uh, in Formula One, you've got to take some risks. Um, and, you know, we're in a sport where there's lots of uh, retrospective experts who can tell you which risks were right and which risks were wrong. Um, looking forward, of course, you don't have uh, the opportunity as it happens next year to uh, not take risk because we've got a whole new set of uh, technical reg regulation changes, the biggest we've had in over 30 years. So, uh, you know, in one sense, we're fortunate that we're forced to go out and take risks. We can't uh, withdraw and be conservative. Uh, on the other hand, it's made it tough this year because ordinarily if there was continuity, you'd be pushing harder on this year's car to find the performance on the basis that that carries forward. Mm. Uh, we took an unusual decision for McLaren in that we stopped uh, active developments of this year's car here at Woking, um, which meant that recovery was then became impossible, but we took that decision uh, because of the importance of being competitive next year, because of the significant rule changes. Um, so uh, you know, normally at this time of year, I think we've been perhaps poor at ceasing the development because frankly we're winning races and competing for a championship. Uh, and we've struggled to move that resource across to the following year's project. Uh, this year, then that task and that decision making has been a little bit easier for us. And uh, you know, we took the decision that you know this season is not going to deliver us what we want. Uh, let's uh, make sure we do everything we can to uh, be competitive uh, next year with the new regulations. Okay, headline signings. You said for 2014. Um, First of all, tell us about Peter Prodrumu. What is it you like about him? Peter uh, started his Formula One career here at McLaren. I was involved in his recruitment, I think, 20 plus years ago. And in fact, most of his career was spent here. Um, and you know, Peter is uh, very bright, very hardworking, very knowledgeable, uh, very experienced. Uh, delivers performance and uh, you know that he's someone who made a terrific contribution here in his time uh, I'm sure he's made a terrific contribution at, uh, at Red Bull um, and therefore I'm very confident that he's going to make a great contribution here in the future 
When um, Paddy Lowe decided to, to move on, was that a really big impact for the team? And indeed, when Lewis moved on as well, when a driver leaves, is that a big impact? Well, I think a driver um, is different from uh, the staff. In, in, in some senses, the, the driver, you know, their input is the skill that they bring to bear in making a car go quick on a Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Um, you know, they clearly can contribute to the short-term development with their feedback, but we've got a lot of data gathering on the car. So the driver's main attribute, uh, main contribution is just pure speed and delivery of World Championship points or wins. Uh, and Lewis is, is, is good for that. Um, and therefore, you know, someone as, as good as that leaving is... Uh, you know, they take something with them in, in terms of that capability. But engineers, uh, we feel like there's some more enduring uh, input and contribution they make. Paddy uh, was a uh, strong, strong engineer, uh, good contributor, you know, was, you know, in truth, though, was the mastermind of, of uh, uh, the, the program we currently have. Um, but uh, it's you know it's a deep loss in some ways, but it uh, gives fresh opportunity for the likes of Tim Goss, uh, Doug McKinnon, people like uh, Matt Morris who've joined, and obviously Peter in the future. So it creates opportunity for those people to make a bigger contribution, and uh, I think that's a fairly natural evolution and a healthy one. So uh, you know we I think we we look forward with some uh, excitement and uh, confidence with what we can do in the future. Okay, let's talk about um, the fans' favourite subject when it comes to F1, the drivers. How would you say that Sergio has adapted since coming on board? Well, I think Sergio is is very young. Um, It's a big challenge to come into uh, a large team like uh, McLaren and a front-running team. Uh, or what people expect to be a front-running team, and uh, so I think that's uh, he's. I think he's developed. I think uh, he'd like to have uh, uh, had more success this year. He'd like to clearly. We haven't given him a good enough car uh, to go out there and win. Uh, but even uh, when he, you know, inevitably, you've got to compare yourself with the most relevant uh, comparator, which is the, the, your teammate. Um, and Jensen is a you know is a is a really consistent and strong comparator, uh, but uh, Checo's a, a young charger who wants to be uh, champion of the future, and clearly his task is to go out there and, and beat Jensen. He hasn't achieved that this year, so he's disappointed uh, that he hasn't. Um, and I think he's uh, currently working pretty hard to see how he can do that. Are you disappointed? Um, I'm not disappointed in him. I'm disappointed in the season, and uh, I think uh, you know inevitably, uh, you know, I take uh, and have taken uh, responsibility that uh, we've now got to. You know, disappointment is uh, something that's a normal human reaction and emotion, uh, but it's not a particularly useful one. Uh, I think the exciting emotion is looking forward. I believe in this team. I believe in what we can do. You know, I've been personally around uh, when we've won over 100 Grand Prix. Uh, the team's 182, and uh, we're going to win a lot more in the future. OK, looking ahead to next year, what do you think is going to be key next season? Is it reliability, the, 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 just the engines, experienced drivers? I think everything, you've got to get everything right. And the real challenges are, one, uh, we have a, a very, very uh, challenging new uh, uh, powertrain next year. Uh, so um, 
for the uh, the engine manufacturers uh, developing that, and it's not just an internal combustion engine. You know, there is a completely new internal combustion engine, downsized, turbocharged, direct injection, V6. Got a lot of challenge there. Then you add to that uh, ERS, the energy recovery systems, both from the exhaust and from kinetic energy. Much more complex, much more uh, differentiating than our current KERS system. So getting all those right, and there's massive technical challenge there. So I think that's uh, you've got to get all that right. Uh, there is uh, very dramatic uh, rule changes on the chassis, and uh, so you've got a clean sheet of paper. Uh, you've got to hope that you, your guys, find all of the opportunities and avenues uh, that are possible to exploit within those new regulations to maximise the performance. And inevitably, some of the teams won't have, and you know, it might be one team that's found an interpretation that uh, uh, that uh, other teams either didn't find or didn't believe was permissible. Uh, so you could have one of those moments, so you've got to get, but you've got to get that right. Uh, then you've got to bring all that package together and do it reliably. Um, and there's a tremendous weight challenge next year, so fighting for weight uh, can often cost you money and cost you reliability. Uh, and then operationally, you've got to bring it all together. You've got to have the best drivers, best team to bring it all together. You know, Formula One is the pinnacle of motorsport, most technically advanced sport in the world. So it's not easy to bring every one of those. And if you get, you know, of just those particular challenges, if you get all bar one right, frustratingly, that's not good enough. And uh, so unless you dial them all in, uh, you're probably not going to have a consistent enough run to go out and win a championship. What's your ambition, Martin? What's my ambition? Well, I think uh, McLaren has uh, come some way in the last 25-ish years that I've been around in it. Uh, you know, we've got a, 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 a we want to win. So, you know, winning in Formula One, uh, you know, I've I've had some uh, great seasons where we've been winning, and uh, a few where we haven't been winning. And I can tell you, the ones where you're winning are much more enjoyable. So, my challenge is to continue to enjoy going motor racing, which means uh, we have to be winning, uh, and continue to grow the McLaren brand, the McLaren company, because uh, you know we've got two and a half thousand people here in Woking that I think have got great and exciting careers. We've got to make sure that we, uh, and I think we have largely, because from a business and a commercial standpoint, although it's been uh, a tough period, I think uh, we're in really good shape. So if we can now just uh, layer on top of that uh, winning the races, then we'll, uh, we'll have, I think, uh, a great, uh, great near-term future. And I'm very confident in, in the longer term that uh, McLaren is going to be uh, you know, a dominant force in five years' time, ten years' time and beyond in, in motorsport. Exclusive interviews and in-depth features. It's the James Allen on F1 podcast. It's been a tough season for 2009 world champion Jensen Button. Having won several races each year with McLaren since he joined in 2010, this year he was unable to compete. In a forward-looking interview with Holly Samos, Button talks about the challenge of the new rules coming in next season and also looks at a theme we've been discussing in depth this month on F one Is there such a thing as a perfect lap? So, Holly caught up with Jensen at the McLaren factory and began by asking when he, as a driver, began thinking about 2014. Uh, last year, you know, I think uh, in 2012, um, I was already sitting down with the, the team 
discussing uh, the future as in 2014 and initially it was a big surprise you know to, to hear that we would have a, a such a small engine um, but also having eight gears and we're not able to change them throughout the year so it was all quite unusual to hear the way that Formula One was going um, when I arrived in the sport it was V10s you know um, and you could change engines and change gearboxes change cars between practice the race and, quali uh, and qualifying so a lot has changed in the sport since I've arrived. I sound like an old man now. Um, but, um, you know, I think it's the way that the sport has to go and uh, in, in terms of um, technology um, for uses in road cars as well. So it's a new challenge for all of us, and I think it's, it's an exciting challenge. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. You know, I think the team, uh, I think every F1 team loves a new challenge, and this is definitely that. Uh, but as a driver as well, you know, it's, it's not just as easy as jumping in and, and driving the car. Uh, it's it's a lot more complicated with the way that the earth system works obviously with the engine with the turbo the lower revs and um, so yeah it's, it's 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 interesting and I think there's a lot to learn and you can make a big difference I think in the early part of the season if you're able to get your head around it. Mm. At this stage of your career can you still learn anything from a year like you've had from from driving a bad car? Because in the early days, when you're a young yeah. driver, you can, can't you? Yeah, yeah, you still do learn. Uh, I mean, you're you're always learning. I think doesn't matter where where you are in your career in the sport. Uh, <clears throat> and this year, especially because we we've tried to go places with the car that we probably wouldn't ever go with the car, but because we're trying to find pace, we've you know the the basic set at work has not made any difference. So, you know, you try things that uh, are new. Um, so, yeah, I've learned a lot. And I think we we understand where to, to not go with the 2014 car in terms of uh, obviously the aerodynamics, but also mechanically. So, learned a lot. And, and the understanding that I have with my engineer now, you know, a lot more experience of, uh, of trying different things. So, yes, it has helped us. And it's given us a lot of confidence in, in our relationship as well. Um, but it's also hurt a lot this year. But um, we've got to take the positives from it. So looking to next year, what's going to be the biggest challenge for the drivers, do you think? Uh, a lot of challenges. I mean, getting your, your head around uh, the aerodynamics and, and less downforce is one thing. Uh, we have, uh, obviously, more torque with the engine. Um, so you're putting a lot more lows through the rear tyres. Uh, I think they're going to make the tyres harder as well. So we're, not, we're going to have very little grip compared to what we're used to. Mm. Uh, but I think technically it's 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 very different, you know. Trying to understand the way that the engine works, um, as I said, I think you can you can get a big advantage at the start of the year if you have a good understanding. You know, with a normal engine, you rev you rev it until eighteen thousand, you hit the limiter, you change gear. Whereas with next year's engine, the limit is fifteen thousand RPM, but we probably won't even hit that because it goes past the torque curve. So we'll be shifting it. It, you know, at different times in different gears, and it's about getting your head around that. It just doesn't feel natural to a racing driver to shift in one gear at 10,000, one gear in 13,000. So, it's 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 very very different way of driving, and something that we really do need to spend a lot of time getting used to. So you're going to have to develop a, a different driving style, or not just you, all the drivers then. Yeah, and and there's also looking after the the amount of fuel because we're only allowed 100 um, kilos of fuel. So that's 60 down on what we probably have in most F1 cars. Obviously, it's a smaller engine, um, but there are there are many things that we're going to have to do to, to look after the um, look after how much fuel we use. So, yeah, it's interesting, and I, I think we're all excited about it. You know, uh, people have said, but it takes away from the excitement of the sport. I don't I don't agree at all. You know, mm. I think this racing is still going to be exciting, um, and there's more opportunity to uh, for, for for racing. I think with with the way regulations are going to be. 
Do you think it's going to suit you? I mean, you guys have a different driving style for qualifying in the race anyway, don't you? So do you think next year is going to suit you? Yeah, I think it's going to be less of a difference, which is good from uh, qualifying to the race um, because we won't be sticking 160 kilos in the car. So the lap time difference won't be as big, which I think is good. I mean, for us, it, it, it does look a little bit silly when we go into the race and we're 10 seconds slower than qualifying. Uh, so I think, uh, does it suit my style? I think if you're willing to adapt your style, that's, it, it suits you, yes. Uh, so, and I'm, I'm definitely willing to, to do that. So um, yes, it will suit my style. So I want to ask you about the perfect lap. Have you ever done one? I think you, you feel that you've, you've got the maximum out of the car. Um, and I've even had laps this year that I've felt that I got the maximum out of it. You know, Qualifying in Suzuka, I felt I got the maximum out of the car. The one that really stands out is back in 2009, uh, qualifying for um, Monaco. Uh, also Spa last year. So there are certain races that stand out. You know, you feel that you've got everything out of yourself in the car. But is that perfection? No. I mean, what is perfection? I don't really know. Uh, I don't think any of us have ever done the, the perfect lap. And we never will. Because um, you always want more. Yeah. And, and also we're human. So, you know, we're not a robot. Um, you make mistakes and you, you're, not, you're never quite perfect. And there are so many variables in, in a racing car in terms of the way that the car works with the suspension and the aerodynamics and with temperatures, with the wind. So the, the perfect lap does not exist as such. Um, you might get out of the car and say you've done the best lap you've done and you've got maximum out of the car. Which and it, is what and we, it would feel feel yeah. great yeah exactly and we don't we don't strive to get the perfect lap because you know that that doesn't exist um but uh feeling that you've got the maximum out of yourself on the car that's what we we aim for so how much work have you already done driving next year's car in the simulator and what can you tell us i've not done a lot uh and it's because they don't want to shock me of how different it feels uh but uh you know it's so different to what we have now mm. so they want me to concentrate more on the next few races and then jump in the simulator towards the end of the year uh, the good thing is we've got a lot of experienced uh, test drivers um, who are putting the car through its paces in, in uh, the simulator. With me driving it, it's not going to change anything. So uh, um, after the last race, there'll be a lot of time to, to really get a feel for it and um, sort of make it, make it my own, if you like. Does the simulator suggest a lap that cannot be obtained by humans? You know, do you have to be careful about not driving to the simulator but staying sort of as close as possible to reality in the real world as such. Yeah, I don't. I really don't know. The simulator gives you the perfect lap, but um, the simulator is very strange because it's close enough to reality that it feels real. Um, so when you get onto a circuit, the first few laps at a circuit are a little bit scary because you feel that you're in the simulator, and then you have to pinch yourself and, and think, well, this is reality. I've got to be careful here. If I go off at this corner. They can't just reset the machine. It's going to hurt. So you've got to be very careful with balancing how much time you spend in the simulator and how in-depth you get into the simulator. Have you seen next year's car in the wind tunnel yet? Are they ugly, like Adrian Newey says? <laughs> I've seen the car for next year. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't think a Formula 1 car is ever ugly. Um, we obviously don't design them to be good-looking, but the way that the aerodynamics works normally gives them a certain beauty. Uh, so no, I, I don't think they're ugly. They're different looking, but um, not ugly. How much input do you have as a driver into next year's car? We obviously have input and uh, all the way through the season we give our feedback on how the car feels and what we think is the weakness of the car. 
because it's sort of inbred um, and it has been over the last few years of how the car feels and the weaknesses of the car has just been exaggerated this year so uh, our input is important um, but I, I don't walk into the uh, wind tunnel and say right I think that this wing should have this on it or this on it because that's not my strong point you know I, I'm not an aerodynamicist uh, so you leave it up to them but you obviously give them the areas that you feel that you, the car is weak and you need to improve so yeah the driver's input is, is key and it's probably more throughout the season than, uh, than over the winter. Do you think next year is a bit more blank sheet of paper let's start afresh again? Yeah, I think it's it's good for the sport. You know, I think um, the regulations have been the same for a very long time now, and I think it's a fresh start is always exciting. And I think it's it's probably better for the smaller teams as well, uh, a fresh start. So I'm really excited about. It. I think everyone is. You know, the the challenge as well um, for every team, every team, and and every individual in that team because it's so different to what we've had the last few years that it's a challenge again. And you know. Adding a, a point of downforce here and there I, I don't think is so exciting for the uh, aerodynamicists. But having such a big regulation change, I think they're excited again. And, you know, they've got their toy and they're going to go and play with and try and get the, the maximum out of it before the season starts. Well, we hope to see you at the top. Cheers, gents. Cheers. The James Allen on F1 podcast, brought to you by UBS. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Jay on F1 technical advisor and former Williams chief engineer, Mark Gillen. Mark, you've worked with some real qualifying specialists over the years. You think of uh, Mika Hakkinen, Kimi Raikkonen, Mark Webber. Have you ever seen a perfect lap? Does, does it exist? I mean, outside the simulation uh, side, probably not. But I think what does exist are brilliant laps. Um, brilliant laps in terms of are not necessarily the ones that sort of are in pole by a mile, but those that are unexpected. Uh, think back to uh, Mark Webber in a Jaguar when he qualified second in Brazil. But probably the, the best lap I've ever seen is Mika Hakkinen uh, in 2001 at Indianapolis. He was lying fifth in the championship. Uh, the car wasn't fantastic. Uh, Mika was struggling with it. He was about to retire. Uh, and uh, lo and behold, he, he stuck it not in pole but in second, uh, which... Looking at the time and the, and, and the lap itself, uh, it was quite special. And when Mika turns up early for a meeting, pre-session pre, uh, meeting, you know that something special is going to happen. And I think his words uh, verbatim to, to Mark Slade, his race engineer, was that he, he wanted a lap set up for maximum attack. <laughs> uh, uh, and said, get me into, into the corner quickly and I'll get myself out. It's interesting you talk about maximum attack because a lot of the idea of a perfect lap is that you don't spin the wheels up too much on the way out of the corner, that everything's measured. It's it's about precision as much as it is about, about maximum attack, isn't it? Yes, I mean, I think particularly these days, uh, back in the early 2000s, uh, uh, the it wasn't such an issue. Uh, you could be uh, uh, tougher on the tyres uh, and certainly be more aggressive in terms of setup. Nowadays, uh, I think that type of driving uh, would be punished quite heavily. Maybe not so much in qualifying, but directly in the race. Well, how do you see McLaren's prospects for, for 2014 with the next generation hybrid turbos? Because, of course, next year they'll be... Uh, their final year with Mercedes, which is sounds like quite a good engine, and then of course they're going to go to the Honda, which is uh, which obviously debuting in 2015. So how do you see them over the next couple of years? It, it's going to be a very tough season for them uh, next year, just in terms of the amount of uh, work they've got to get through uh, installing next year's engine uh, and the, the complete power unit, the cares, the energy recovery system, the e-turbo. It's a lot of work. 
they probably have less information than they would maybe like uh, because understandably Mercedes would be cautious uh, with uh, Honda coming in. And then for 2015, they've got to repackage a completely new powertrain. Are they hurt by the fact that they've been off the pace this year or does it, is, it, is the car sufficiently different, the aerodynamics and the design, that it's actually a clean piece of paper for everybody? I think McLaren, they're a class organisation. Um, they were obviously extremely quick last year. Uh, they, they made a few changes, uh, quite aggressive changes this year, which uh, we, we sort of questioned here on the, on the podcast at the beginning of the season. Uh, they obviously were off the pace. It's taken them a while uh, to, to get back. Uh, they haven't got back where they want to but they probably understand the issues that need to be resolved for next year, so I expect them to be quick. Listening to the, um, the clip with, Mark, with uh, Sebastian Vettel earlier on, it was interesting to, to hear him talk about listening to the tyres and feeling the tyres and his whole technique, his approach. He's, he's kind of perfected this era of Formula 1, hasn't he? And it, particularly in the last two or three months, he seems to have gone up a level. I mean, he, his performances over the last few months have, have been, to be honest, quite unbelievable. Um, uh, a few months ago, I was sort of wondering how good he was relative to some of the, you know, the, the true greats in F1, but I think he's proved himself. When you're seven-tenths to a second quicker than anybody else in the field, um, and that includes against your, you know, your, your teammate, uh, that's impressive. Uh, and he, he's, he's definitely at ease and he's understood how to, to manage the car and deal with the tyres. The tyres the are extremely sensitive, as we all know. Uh, but managing those tyres and also being quick, uh, the times that he did in uh, the last race were spectacular. Particularly that opening stint. I mean, you, you had a good look at that, didn't you? How, how did he do it? How did he pull away so much and yet be able to get an, such a long opening stint together? To be honest, I think that's the question everybody's asking. Uh, you know, when you look at it, uh, when he came in for his pit stop, even when his tyres had degraded um, and they, they, obviously that triggered the stop, that time with the degraded tyres was good relative to the competition at the start of the stint. So that shows you how good he is. Uh, how, how, how in tune he is with that car. Also, obviously, we heard earlier on from, from Adrian Newey, who was saying a little bit about how they've been able to improve that car and put it out of reach of everybody else. And you found that interesting? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, that was one of the most interesting quotes I've heard uh, this season where, you know, he alludes to the fact that the, the change uh, back to effectively last year's tyres has helped them dramatically. Um, they sound as if they were struggling to put the aerodynamic load into the the, uh, the tyres at the beginning of the season and probably oversaturating them. So they couldn't get the maximum grip that they were expecting. And with the change, they've been able to put the load into the tyre and obviously have uh, reaped the benefits. Mark, as always, very interesting. Thanks for your time. Thank you. So that's it for this month. Next month, we look back on the 2013 season with a panel of experts and F1 insiders. Thanks to you for listening and for all your feedback. Remember, you can catch up with all the latest news, race strategy analysis and innovations at jamesallenonf1.com, where you'll find more thoughts, discussions and videos on the perfect lap. Thanks to all our contributors and thanks to our partner, UBS, for making it possible. Bye for now. The James Allen on F1 podcast is brought to you by UBS and is a Speed Merchants Media production. The producer is Mark Newman.